Hi, I'm Abby, and I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to these Sepsis Research Feet Words of Sepsis podcasts. Over the course of eight episodes, we'll be talking to sepsis survivors and their families about their experiences of sepsis. Some of the stories you hear may be quite painful. Many are uplifting. They're stories of shock, fear, sometimes loss, often courage, but also of hope. Sepsis is a condition that still takes the lives of some 50,000 people in the UK every year. That's about five lives lost every hour. Our hope is that through these podcasts, many more people will become aware of sepsis and that some of the loss and suffering related to sepsis can be prevented as you increase your knowledge and the knowledge of others. So do please listen, share these words of sepsis and help to raise awareness and save lives. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Craig Stobo, the founder and chair of Sepsis Research Feet, who talks about the terrible personal loss he suffered as a result of sepsis and the work that it has spurred him on to do. Back in 2012, almost 10 years ago now, uh, I fell ill with sepsis and was rushed into hospital, by which point I had septic shock. I eventually developed cellulitis, but I wasn't actually showing when I first went in. So it was purely the symptoms of sepsis, but I was fortunate it was recognized quickly, diagnosed quickly, treated quickly. And most importantly, the treatment worked. And I subsequently went on to make a, a, a full recovery, uh, but I was in hospital for several days. But it was my, my late wife, Fiona, who was a GP, who was the one who was instrumental in making sure that I got to hospital in time, because I thought I just had a fever or a summer cold or something like that. And I felt ghastly and it came on very quickly on a Thursday morning and afternoon. And I was quite ready to just go to my bed to sleep it off. And frankly and bluntly, had I done so, it may well have been my last sleep. So Fee was quite adamant that I was to get myself to, first of all, to a local GP. Uh, and they had a bit of a confab and then they were basically clear about straight to hospital with you. So that was my experience. But whilst I was in hospital, Fee was 35 weeks pregnant at the time, I should say. And she, unfortunately, on the Friday, also became profoundly unwell and also developed sepsis and septic shock. And unfortunately, she didn't really respond to treatment. And first of all, the doctors rang me on the Friday evening. I'd started to recover um, to tell me that um, our baby who had been perfectly healthy and well at that point a wee girl um had actually died unfortunately and um it was devastating to hear that and they explained that Fiona herself was very poorly but they were gonna try and deliver the baby and then try and stabilize Fiona I should say at this point I'm in a hospital in Edinburgh and Fee was in Forth Valley Royal anyway long story short they worked on Fiona through the night, I was taken through from one hospital to the other, and at 10 to 6 on the Saturday morning, our baby Isla, who had been hitherto perfectly fine, was stillborn. Um, and I know that Fiona was able to hold her, albeit by this point she was deeply unconscious, and I was able to hold her as well, and it was the lowest point of my life at that point. Um, unfortunately, things didn't improve after that because although the doctors tried their best to stabilise Fiona throughout the rest of the Saturday um, and into the early hours of Sunday morning, 
she was profoundly ill with septic shock at this point. And every time they gave her a blood transfusion, effectively what was happening was they would give her a blood transfusion, it would stabilize her for a short while, and then she was effectively just bleeding out. And they decided to take her into theatre around about midnight on the Saturday going into Sunday. Uh, meantime, I'm going up and down to still receive treatment as well for my condition because originally there wasn't a bed for me, so I was in a waiting room. So I was going up and down to the A&E part of the hospital to get treatment. So I went through to see her. I knew she was going into theatre um, and throughout the day, we'd all been speaking to her, encouraging her, trying to tell her to, to fight on. And I went down for my treatment and she went down to theatre. And unfortunately, when I came back up, um, the doctors who were treating her were waiting for me. And they, they told me that unfortunately she had arrested in theatre at 1.50am on the Sunday morning. So within the space of a relatively short space of time, I'd almost lost my own life, but fortunately hadn't. And I'd lost my daughter and I'd lost my wife all as a result of sepsis, which I hadn't really heard much about. I was aware of blood poisoning and septicemia, but I didn't really know much about sepsis. And what happened the following day was one of the consultants in the hospital on the Sunday came to, to talk to myself and the, the family, and we were all in profound shock at this stage. And he just started to go through some of the numbers about that individual hospital, Fourth Valley, that um, people who would come in with sepsis and also the numbers who would recover and the number of the mortality rates as well. And I was absolutely horrified. And essentially there was no Scottish charity at that point to deal with sepsis. So I decided, you know, at that point that I would set one up, um, which is what we proceeded to do. And I had, um, I was fortunate because my background was legal and also I knew, knew a lot of medics. I was able to speak to lawyers to do all the kind of technical stuff uh, and also business people and also all the doctors and we got together a board and that was how we originally set up the what was originally known as the Fiona Elizabeth Agnew Trust with those two objectives one was to raise awareness because awareness of the condition is very low and as is evidenced by my own case the quicker you recognize it and diagnose it and get people to hospital the better the outcomes are and equally there was a real need for research because I know that Fiona is not the only case where the doctors do everything they can, but the existing treatments just simply don't work. You know, they obviously worked for me, but for some people, they just simply do not work. So one of the big areas of research for the charity that we're trying to fund over you know, the last several years is to find out why that is. Um, and that will remain a, a key focus. And ultimately what we hope to do by raising awareness and doing more research is to hopefully find new and better treatments and overall improve outcomes for the people who don't have existing good outcomes or who have bad outcomes. The charity was formally set up in 2013. So what does Craig think the key achievements have been so far? First of all, raising awareness, which is an ongoing uh, campaign. You know, we, we really started from a standing start and amongst the things that we've done, I mean, I've been profoundly touched and moved by the sheer number of people who have got together and done fundraising as groups and we started off doing feats for feet and some of the feats that people did were fantastic and they've raised a lot of money and they really got behind the charity and that was the initial critical period where it helped us to establish and then to grow and you know we then uh, we then developed a name we've changed the name to sepsis research feet to try and put the focus on research but i mean milestones have been that we we did a national awareness campaign with the scottish government 
Um, that was a key milestone because again, you know, it's just trying to get that message out there for the first time more widely. And also just the start of the Seedcore funding um, with the University of Edinburgh um, into looking at potentially genetic differences that may cause different outcomes um, with people giving the same treatment. That I think has been a critical milestone for us as well. Uh, but fundamentally, I'm just profoundly grateful for all the people who've got behind the charity, um, be it professional medics or just, you know, ordinary people who, like myself, have maybe lost somebody or have had a friend that they've lost. And the, the, again, I'm always amazed and I'm, and I'm moved by people's resilience and by the, their determination to try and do something positive out of something so negative. It's something that, you know, I and my friends and the people in the charity have tried to do. And... We just take our hats off to everybody who gets behind us because without the people who supported us in the beginning and continue to support us, there would be no charity and we wouldn't be able to do all these things. So we're profoundly grateful for that. And our commitment is to keep on raising awareness. There's still more to be done on that front and also to keep funding more research until hopefully at some point, it may take some years, but we will get some better treatments and some alternative treatments and we'll have a real impact in, on the, the numbers and bring those numbers right down. And where does Craig see the research going and developing in the future? I'm not a research scientist or an expert medic, so this is very much a layperson's answer. But where we see it going, I mean, we, we always envisaged that it would be, it would take time um, because we are looking into um, the genetic components and what our biggest strand of research. And we will have other strands of research as well, but just as with all types of research, we will make discoveries along the way. And like you said, sometimes a negative return can be a positive because you're ruling things out and we have a good bunch of people a fantastic bunch of people at the University of Edinburgh who are making great strides towards doing this uh, just in terms of getting people to sign up so we can actually start on the research and um, because of the initial seed core work that we'd done in taking um, samples and setting up the network there the, the people at Edinburgh were actually able to pivot um, during the, the COVID pandemic um, and were able to pivot the research to actually focus on that as well. So that that has obviously been something that's been beneficial on a, a kind of wider aspect as well. And now hopefully that we, we are through the worst of the pandemic, the team can go back to focusing more on sepsis. But that was a good example of an unintended outcome. Uh, nobody was expecting it, but they were able to pivot what they had already done um, and then scale it up. And you know, that was a real insight into how useful it can be. Um, in terms of the time scale, it may take a very long time, um, just as with other types of research, like cancer research, there's no immediate magic bullet oftentimes, but um, as I always say, you know, you always have to start somewhere and we've taken the first several steps down the road that we hope will ultimately lead to some fresh discoveries. It could take years, it could even take decades, frankly, or we may get lucky um, and find something in six months, 12 months, 18 months. And I think one has to be prepared for any eventuality. But the key thing is you've, you've got to start. You have to start doing it. So we've started. Craig says he's feeling positive about the future and what Sepsis Research Feet wants to achieve over the next five years. Well, we've expanded out across the UK now. So although we started off in Scotland, we have started off uh, you know, expanding across the UK. Um, and the focus will continue to be, we need to still carry on raising awareness because it is fundamental and so we will always do that, just as all other medical research charities will do that as well. Cancer research charities raise awareness, but our focus will be to try and scale up as much as we possibly can more research. And again, this will be across the UK. So if we 
are contacted about other interesting projects across the UK, then, you know, we will back those. And what we're effectively trying to do is to place sensible bets on research that we think could ultimately lead to interesting outcomes, useful outcomes, and perhaps different treatments as well. Now, we don't know where they will come from, but we are very much operating now with the UK remit. So the more that we can, effectively, the more money we can raise, uh, the more awareness we can raise, and the more research we can fund. Of course, there are other ways, if, if people are financially strapped, as many people will be and are going to be, unfortunately, because of the situation that we're in, um, a lot of people will give us time. We've got our um, sepsis advocates now as well and that's another way that people can get involved so we always stress that you know you don't have to be out there fundraising or donating money you know the giving of time is equally as valuable uh, if we're able to get out there and that's another way that we can spread the message by people being effectively trained up to go out there and actually tell other groups of people about the message and that is something that I've done, other board members have done, our team has done, and we've now got a whole bunch of people who are trained up to do that as well. And it's very important. And oftentimes, you know, they will have their own personal stories and reasons for wanting to get involved. And it's makes it much more relatable if you can, you can talk about statistics and about symptoms and about awareness all you like, but actually, if you just tell the story of, I guess, how simply it can happen, how quickly it can happen. It really cements that in people's minds and we found that to be very important and relatable. And I, th I think that's another critical component. And, you know, the, the idea being that, again, the more we can spread awareness right across the UK, hopefully the, the more we can prevent people having bad outcomes. And also, ultimately, we want to try and raise more money and fund more research right across the UK. Sepsis doesn't really stop at the border. It's a global problem, but, you know, we're focused on, on UK research. One of the key research projects Sepsis Research Feet is funding is the genomic study. Professor Kenneth Bailey is the genomic study's chief investigator and a consultant in critical care medicine at the University of Edinburgh. He explains what it's all about. Genomic is an acronym for a study. It stands for Genetics of Mortality in Critical Care. And it um, has been going for seven years now, but really got a boost when Sepsis Research Feet funded us in 2018. Uh, to extend the study across the UK um, and, uh, and now internationally. And what we're trying to do in genomic is understand the genetic differences that there are in people who are susceptible to extreme forms of infection. So sepsis and uh, respiratory viral infections like COVID um, and to uh, mortality from those conditions and, and a broader range of conditions, including injuries that, that might not seem to be similar uh, to sepsis, like um, a disease called pancreatitis, where the pancreas, uh, an organ in the abdomen, dissolves itself and creates inflammation throughout the whole body, or even large burns, which can create syndromes a bit similar to sepsis. So uh, we think that uh, genetics can lead us to clues that will help us to identify treatments for sepsis and related forms of critical illness. Um, and the only way that has ever been shown to, to find those genetic clues is to get very large numbers of people with the condition that we're interested in um, to participate in the study. And he says working with the charity gives his team a real boost. Research funding across the whole world, really, is, is, is generally very specific. It's, it's short term. There's an attraction towards low risk projects. And what you do with the money is extremely specific from the very outset. 
sepsis research feet took a long-term vision. They said they wanted to do something that could be transformative. They accepted that it might not work. And they gave us the flexibility to use funding uh, you know, as, as we needed it at the time. Um, and that enabled us to very rapidly extend recruitment across the whole UK for a study that was obviously very high risk and you know, might not yield anything. You know, at the time, if the pandemic hadn't hit, you know, we, we would still be in the situation of saying this could take a decade before we find anything um, that might be useful. And, and that's just, you know, in my world of, of science funding, that's a really refreshing way and, and practically very useful way to, to have funding. The second is much more important. Um, and it is that we, when we meet sepsis research feet and the sepsis survivors and the relatives of people who've died of sepsis, my entire lab group, um, you know, groups of scientists and clinicians uh, who are studying the immune system and sepsis and genetics and related problems, we we all have our feet held to the fire by uh, you know this extraordinary, compelling group of people whose objective is to find better treatments for this disease, and it stops us getting distracted. Because, of course, we find things that are interesting along the way that, that you know, everyone gets into science because they're excited about solving mysteries. Um, and there's a great deal of, you know, of value to solving mysteries for their own sake. Um, but that's not what my lab does. We are entirely focused on picking up the threads that will lead us to or that might lead us to new treatments for sepsis. Um, and so if there are um, things that, you know, that might lead us into really interesting new areas of science or biology, um, we uh, we don't follow them. We publish them. We, we point others in that direction. Um, but we keep our focus on finding new treatments. And it's really because uh, of the direct interaction um, with this extraordinary group of people um, that, that we keep that focus. Craig says having the charity has been a real focus for him and his family. I do view myself as fortunate to still be here. So there's an element of, okay, well, I'm going to make the best use of my time that I can. And that's the, the, the charity is inherent and integral to that. And again, just as I say, I, you know, there's a real, both myself and the family and all our friends, we were all profoundly shocked by what happened. There's also a real drive within all of us to try and prevent it happening to other people, other families, because we just know from the numbers, the sheer number of people who are affected every year, the number of people who, who, who die every year is, is thousands and thousands. But they actually, if you look at the number of people who are then affected by that, all the friends and family of those people who, are, who, who lose their lives far too soon, you know, you're probably into the hundreds of thousands, maybe even the millions. So it's a, it's a serious condition and it needed to be tackled. And so, yes, it has given us a focus and you hope, one always hopes that everything you can do will maybe help other people. I mean, I said this at the outset, if we can stop it happening to one other family, it's been worth it. And fortunately, we've been able to do much more than that, but obviously there's still much more to be done. Uh, and there remains a, a group of people, a cohort of people for whom existing treatments just don't appear to work. Uh, and we want to understand why that is and to do more about it, to try and come up with new and alternative treatments. And we'll leave the last word for this episode with Craig. Just to say thank you to everybody over the last nine years of the charity um, who's supported us, particularly, you know, all the all the folk who've done so many great um, feats and fundraising and helped spread the word. Um, to all the medics and all the doctors and the nurses um, and the public health officials and, you know, the people we deal with in government who have been so supportive and who want to ultimately try and improve outcomes for everybody. And to the, the, the great team um, who run the charity, they've done a great job steering us through some very, very, very 
choppy waters over the last couple of years. And finally, just to um, my fellow trustees, because again, you know, they've, they've helped oversee that through very difficult times, lots of Zoom calls, lots of difficult decisions to be made. Um, and just to, to friends and family as well for the, for the initial support of getting it going. And hopefully, you know, we're always very grateful for any kind of support we can get from people and hopefully people will continue to, to join and help out right across the UK. And we'll try and help out as much as we can back by raising more awareness and funding more research. Craig's story is a hugely powerful one. It's also testament to one man's resolve to prevent others from going through what he and his family and friends suffered. The work that he and his fellow trustees and the team have done over the last nine years has been phenomenal. We really hope that listening to this Words of Sepsis podcast has helped increase your awareness of sepsis. Do check out all eight episodes in the series and share them as widely as you can, using them to start conversations with friends and family about sepsis. It could save a life, possibly even your own. If you've been affected by anything you've heard, or you'd like more information about the groundbreaking research into sepsis that the charity funds, please do visit our website www.sepsisresearch.org.uk where you can also make a donation. You'll be helping us to save lives today and fund research for tomorrow.